Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, it has gone. Sweet. Um, Tony Kugoch. Oh, the joke I was going to make. <laughs> <laughs> Sup, nerds? It's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I am joined, as always, by my trusted co-host, the talking shit about the Washington Mystics to Liz Cambage on Twitter. It's Eric Silver. Eric, how's it going? This is the best basketball story about milk since Clay Thompson, and I'm here for it. <laughs> Let's very quickly give context to this. No, don't give no context. It's just milk. It's just a milk story. <laughs> Well, we don't talk about it in the Jordan interview, so I feel like we should tell people what is happening. Fine. Okay, fine. So very quickly, Liz Cambage was trash-talking people of the Washington Mystics, <laughs> who she does not like, saying that one of their players needed some milk in order to strengthen their bones, I guess. And then the Washington Mystics account clapped back and tweeted out a video of Liz Cambage struggling and falling over in the post and then asked her, who needs some milk? <laughs> so now there's beef between a player and a full team and milk is involved. <laughs> it's cheese now because they've worked it so hard. It's butter. We'll put a link to all the tweets on the website. But before we get into this episode of Horse, we got to get a little bit prepared. And in order to do so, we have to take a, a quick visit to the Teal Memorial Locker Room. Teal's doing great. Teal's thriving. Teal learned how to make some really great cookies. And now it's there. Mm -hmm. It's like we're all going to emerge from this thing with like a bunch of new skills. Like we all leveled up. Right. Everyone is better at cooking and baking, I would assume. I am a lot better at sit-ups since it's the only exercise I can do because I ordered dumbbells and they were delayed and then delayed again and then canceled by Walmart. We're all going to be different. We're all just going to be different people. I'm plus five to Pokemon, which I guess was kind of inevitable for me. <laughs> so you know who is plus five to making me happy? <laughs> plus five to supporting artists. Is there our new patrons? It's our new patrons. We have three new patrons. Welcome to the team. So shout out to Emma K, Asai McKenzie, and Maria Paulson for helping us out and supporting the show. You all got seven inch growth spurts in college and then no one recognizes you and then you become one of the top 20 basketball players of all time. Mm-hmm. That was a reference to Scottie Pippen in The Last Dance, the new documentary that's going on, which Eric and I have decided we will talk about when it's all over so that we're not doing piece by piece. It's truly like Game of Thrones. Like, I need to know. <laughs> How can it be Game of Thrones about something that already happened? Yeah, I mean, Cersei, am I right? <laughs> Man, I wonder if Michael Jordan is going to kill all those people. Maybe. That Jon Snow guy, he knows nothing. He has so many rebounds. You know how you can know a lot of things, though, and not be like this Jon Snow fellow? You can check out our sponsor for this episode, which is brilliant. That's a good one. So if you want to learn about math 
or statistics, or very complex things such as differential equations, or astronomy, you can do so with Brilliant. Brilliant is the best way to strengthen your mental toolbox. I'm a big proponent of this. I'm trying to convince all of you that math is super fun, and Brilliant is here to help me make my point true that math is fun. Listen, Brilliant, you're going to have to do a lot of work. I'm sorry. They have a bunch of different online courses in the subjects that I talked about. There's some other STEM subjects there as well, like physics. If you want to strengthen that brain because you've already cooked a million sourdough loaves of bread and you need to flex some different muscles, you should check it out. And you can support the show in addition to your brain by going to brilliant.org slash horse and signing up today for free. Also, the first 200 people that go to that link will get 20% off an annual premium subscription from Brilliant. You're smarter because you're money savvy and you learn a bunch about math. Mm-hmm. You can now take the change that you've saved and throw it into your piggy bank because you know how vectors work. Mike, I remember what a Nine Tails holographic Pokemon card looks like, but I do not understand how to do a lot of things in Excel. Don't worry. I got you. <laughs> we're the perfect team. <laughs> So now that we're all fully prepared, we can get ready for our first segment, which we like to call Full Core Press, get it like the news. Oh. And for this segment of Full Core Press, we have an interview with friend of the pod and WNBA correspondent for us, at least, <laughs> Jordan Liggins of The Ringer. So for this very special edition of Full Court Press, we are joined again by officially friend of the pod status, I think, now that this is your third appearance, uh, fact checker and writer for The Ringer. It's Jordan Liggins to help us process the wild WNBA draft that took place. Jordan, how's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me again. I love it here. We love having you here. And we also love that the WNBA gave us a true sense of sports again and that they had the draft. And even though it was remote and different, it was still very fun and interesting. And you were doing all of the draft coverage for The Ringer. Uh, and we just wanted to see if there was any particular things that you found interesting or incredibly exciting. I know that it kicked the night off by doing the honorary draft selections of all of the teammates of Gigi Bryant, including Gigi as well, who unfortunately passed in the helicopter incident, which was a really nice sentimental moment to kick off the night. Then it moved right into Sabrina Ionescu getting first pick, which we all knew was going to happen. So right off the bat, it started off really strong. What did you think just like in the early moments of the draft once it got going? You know, I think it was amazing, um, especially for the first time this happening. You know, the WNBA kind of being the trailblazer with the virtual draft. I know we're going to see it at the end of this week with the NFL, but I think they did really well. <laughs> I think everybody was holding their breath, not knowing how it was going to go. There was a couple laggy delays and things like that. But other than that, I think Kathy Engelbert did an amazing job and the whole WNBA organization. We Once Sabrina got drafted, we knew that she was going to go number one. But if I could pat myself on the back there, I got the top four picks. But after that, it was a toss-up. It was surprise after surprise. And I think that just really shows how much talent was in this draft. That's fair, though. It's like Oscar picks at this point. You're like, mm, I'm going to get Best Actor. But really, who knows what the costumes are going to go? Seriously. And even 
before the draft, if we can just talk about how I finished my mock draft and it was beautiful. And then the New York Liberty come in and make a huge trade for Tina Charles and just mix everything up. (laughs) And then they get two additional first round picks. That changed some things. But um, I would like to brag that I was officially the bearer of bad news in that case, because once I saw that the Liberty made that trade, I DM'd you like, holy shit, this is huge. (laughs) And then you replied, I just posted my mock draft. Why would they do this to me? And then you immediately (laughs) had to go to work and edit it. It was rough. There was a lot of Ed notes on that mock draft (laughs) because it went up, I think, 20 minutes before all of that came out in the news. So that was wonderful. That was a great morning. (laughs) What made that trade interesting and what I thought made the whole draft interesting is that you basically had two teams going all in on this draft. The Dallas Wings had four picks in the first round, right? And then the Liberty had three picks in the first round. Was this draft particularly one of those drafts where all the experts say this one is loaded? Or are these two teams just trying to trust the process and start in the same year? I think it was really important for both of those teams to try to trust the process, try to reload, rebuild, because they're both struggling. I think that they were trying to go all in. This was a loaded draft, in my opinion. And I think they were trying to get as many pieces as possible. I mean, New York Liberty had their three first round picks and then they turn around and had the first pick of the second round. So they have so many people that are going to come to that training camp hungry, fighting for a roster spot, just like in Dallas. There's not a lot of them. And they have a lot of picks and also a lot of veterans. For example, on the New York Liberty, their point guard, Brittany Boyd, got waived, who I used to play with way back in the day in like middle school. Whoa. You know, she was their starting point guard. And now you have Sabrina coming in and she gets waived. And I think that's going to be a lot of players. We're going to see a lot of that in the coming weeks, unfortunately. Nice. We're just going to isolate that one quote of you saying like, yeah, I used to go up against the WNBA server, then she got waved and I still got a job. Ah, ah, ah. That's going to be the quote of the podcast. Oh, she was way better than me. She was so good. Yeah, we knew then she was going to go pro, not me. No, absolutely. I have a question about Bella Alari. She went to Princeton. In the WNBA, do they make a big deal about people coming from Ivy League schools like they do in the NBA or the NFL? Well, it's like, wow, Ryan Fitzpatrick came from Harvard, so he must be smart. Let's keep hiring him and letting him do things, even though he's not that great. Does the WNBA, like, lose their shit over Ivy League players? (laughs) I would think that they do. There's not been a lot of Ivy League women's basketball players that have come through the draft. I don't have the stats pulled up right now, but I know that it was a shock for a lot of people. I remember I showed my mock draft to my dad and he was like, Princeton? (laughs) Like, are they even a contender? What's happening? And that is exactly right. Princeton shocked the world this year by having an amazing record. They were going to be a top-seeded team in March Madness. And she is, I mean, I compared her to Elena Deladon. She's that unicorn-like player. She's tall. She's athletic. She can shoot. People are going to be talking about Princeton a lot in the WBA because of her. 
It's so good. They're such a small school. They really need the elevation. <laughs> As someone that grew up five minutes away from Princeton, New Jersey, we like the opportunity to brag about our much aligned state and the fact that we have the number one smart people university in the country by all of those top rating whatevers. Look, some we got we got to have this. New Jersey is relentlessly dunked on. Sorry, Mike, can you re-say that? I didn't hear you over the chip on your shoulder. <laughs> I... <laughs> Love my state so much, and I'm glad that we have the best Twitter game in the business now that <laughs> at NJGov just is the most hilarious Twitter account that I follow in my timeline right now. I was very happy for Princeton. Something that made me very sad, though, in the draft is that the New York Liberty originally drafted Erica Agwumake, who went to Rice, where I went to school, and then immediately traded her to the Minnesota Lynx. And... I was very happy because I was already planning on going to a lot of Liberty games this year now that they're playing in Barclays and they're closer, but I was so close to having Erica on the team. Jordan, is Erica going to be good? Why did my hometown-ish team of the Liberty trade her away after having her for five seconds? Well, she's an Abubake sister. She is going to play just like her sisters, but she's a guard. She has two older sisters in the league right now, and then one younger sister that people are also expecting to be in the league. There's going to be four sisters in the league? Oh my gosh. They are so talented. <laughs> and, you know, they really stand out. I think I love watching the Abubake sisters because of their hustle, their drive, and just their willingness to win. And you have two on the same team in LA. And so I hope the other two can pair up in Minnesota because that would just be amazing. I would love to live in a world where all four get on the same team. It'd be funny to be like, Ogumake to Ogumake, who sets a screen for Ogumake. <laughs> <laughs> They'd probably use first names at that point. <laughs> Janae, Taneka. <laughs> I love that. It's like the XFL. They just have their first names on their jerseys. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah. Very good. One thing that I found interesting just by being the remote draft, correct me if I'm wrong, but it looked like the WNBA sent care packages of sorts to all of the players that were going to be in the draft, including a basketball and the classic orange hoodies and some other WNBA merch. But then did they send them a hat from every single team so that they could wear the hat of whoever got drafted? And follow up question, what do the players do with all the hats that they're not wearing? <laughs> yes, that's a great question. They did send them 12 hats total. And I think that they pass them out to their family members. They try to sell them, maybe get some extra cash <laughs> on eBay or something. And maybe they autograph it with, I don't know, a fake autograph, some left hand, some right hand to try to get some more money for them. But yes, they did. Those care packages actually looked awesome. And they even had the smart link or I don't know, some technology where Kathy Engelberg pops up and is like, Yay, we're so excited to have you part of the draft. And I just thought that was so awesome and really personable. Were there any like big shocking moments in the draft? Like any huge woe to quote Bill Simmons in regards to Anthony Bennett when he was drafted first? Any huge shockwave moments for you? Kia Gillespie. I had her going number 11 in the first round and a lot of other mock drafts had her going first round. And she dropped to the third round. And that was a real big surprise for a lot of people and you know a lot of WNBA players and a few NBA players are even reaching out to her saying use that as motivation you know have a good rookie year prove everybody wrong and I was just really surprised she's a walking double double coming from Florida State and now she's on a really good Chicago team I think that she's a really good power forward and a lot of teams needed her 
but a lot of people passed on her and I'm just not sure why. Well, Jordan, thanks so much for coming on and helping us process the WNBA draft. Your coverage was great. I, of course, and Eric, too, uh, enjoyed the fact that Sabrina Ionescu on your big mock draft was uh, described as Shades of Sue Bird, our favorite player by a mile. Cuckoo! I kept going back and forth on that one. Oh, my gosh. I landed on Sue Bird because of her amazing passing ability. She can score. We know Sabrina can score, but she's... A passer first, the pick and roll that she does is lethal. So that's how I landed on Sue. That's great. We're very excited. To try to put it into NBA perspective, we all know she was like the number one consensus pick. Is this like LeBron levels of certainty? Is it Anthony Davis levels of certainty? How like big deal draft moment is Sabrina to compare to an NBA player? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. I want to say LeBron level for the women's game. And I only say that because if you look at the coverage that she is getting, it is like LeBron Zion level in the Mm. sense that every single thing that, you know, anyone talks about in the women's game, Sabrina is there. It was quickly turned into the Sabrina draft. That's what my mom kept saying. She's like, oh, here's Sabrina again. We're talking about Sabrina again. Even after people were getting selected, they still circled back to showing highlights of Sabrina. And then right after she gets that Nike contract, things like that show that she is the LeBron, the Zion of the WNBA because of everything being circled around her. On her training camp, I guarantee there's going to be cameras there. On her first day, on her first game, everything is going to be centered around her just like those types of NBA players. Zion definitely feels like an interesting comp and maybe just because we've been watching The Last Dance, but like the way that everyone was talking about like Patrick Ewing and Michael Jordan and Hakeem Olajuwon as they came out of college and just dominated college so hard is like this person is so much better than everybody else is like no one is more of a sure thing because we've seen her play. Yes, definitely. And everyone has seen her highlights. We know the records that she broke, all the awards that she's gotten. Everybody knows all those stats. Even the common passerby can say that. And that's where it gets to the, the LeBron and Zion levels. Absolutely. Well, we are very excited to go to Barclay Center, which is now much closer than going up to Westchester, which I did three times last season to watch the Liberty play. I'm very excited to have Sabrina here in our backyard. Mike, my dad lives in Westchester, and I didn't go to Westchester that much last season. I just wanted to see some prime WNBA stuff. Now I can just take the train over to Barclays and pretend that the Nets don't own uh, the Liberty, and I can just be like, it's still a New York team. Yeah. Oh, you mean the best team in New York, the Brooklyn Nets? <laughs> the okay. cool, the cool team, the Brooklyn Nets. Oh, the Brooklyn Nets—they are so cool. What did make me bad is that Kyrie Irving and some Nets did a "Welcome to New York" video. It's like you guys brought in two great players and then were garbage <laughs> this the whole season. Yeah, my favorite part is Kyrie being like, "Oh, uh, Katie's not playing." All right, yeah, my shoulder hurts, man. I'm sitting this one out. <laughs> Oh, perfect. That's the truest way to end an interview is shitting on Kyrie Irving, the unifying factor between Eric and I. Bang, bang. Uh, But (laughs) but Jordan, thank you so much for joining on uh, and helping us process this draft a little bit more. Uh, If people want to find find you and your writing and stuff, where can they do so? Yes, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Jordan Liggins or Instagram at Jordan Liggins. And all my writing is on TheRinger.com. And you got to check out her piece that published yesterday. Jordan wrote about love and basketball in 20 years afterwards. And it's such a good piece. Thank you. 
Well, thanks so much for joining, Jordan. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Wow. What a true gem that Jordan is, as are Mike and Eric from the past. Just lovely chaps. They're both deep cut drafts that really pan out for you later and the number one draft pick that everyone knows is going to succeed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So speaking of these things, and as we alluded to earlier in this episode, The Last Dance documentary is going on right now. It's very good. You can watch it on ESPN, either in Mature Language Edition or TV 14 Edition, which I think is fun. And the only difference is that they have clips of Michael Jordan cursing in practice sometimes. And that's <laughs> the main difference between those two versions of the show. I listen to the explicit because I want to hear Steve Kerr say piss. <laughs> <laughs> It was funny because I don't know if they curse in the first one at all. I might have just missed it. But in the second one, I was wondering because it, it was the second time I clicked TVMA and I thought, why is this MA? What's what's so bad? And then I think five minutes in, they have a clip of Michael Jordan in practice. And he's like, what the fuck, Tony? It's only for Michael Jordan yelling at Tony Kukoc. Like, that's all <laughs> it's for. TVMA, foul language used at Tony Kukoc. <laughs> it's like smoking. They passed it in the mid-2000s because of how de detrimental it was to children. <laughs> so we are going to talk about this documentary when it's all over so that we're not like the billions of podcasts that finally now have content to cover. So they're covering these in real time, which I tried to listen. Did you listen to the Jalen and Jacoby one that's on the 30 for 30 feed? I saw it, but like, I don't know if I need rewatch podcasts about like a documentary. You definitely don't. I can say right. because I listened to 15 seconds of episode one of it. And it's super cool. I know that we're in these trying times where everyone doesn't have a great studio and not everyone has great microphones. Jalen Rose's audio is great. But David Jacoby is on what sounds like an iPhone 3. But also he is screaming to Jalen Rose. He is I don't know if he has the phone on the other side of a hallway or something, but he's like, Jalen, you played against Michael Jordan sometimes. How is that? It's like, what are we doing? The thing about podcasts that I do not understand is like, okay, you don't edit. You want it to be raw in the actual conversation. Like, all right, I guess that's an explanation. But like, take five seconds to adjust the volume so everything sounds at least kind of close to each other, like a little bit. I, what I don't understand about this and then the ESPN horse thing being so bad is if you work for big professional company like ESPN, you would think that they could mail you a microphone or something. Mm -hmm. I don't get it. Listen, as Jody Avergan said, our, <laughs> our studio mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and everything about what we do is better than ESPN, so I'm not surprised. That's exactly the exact quote that he said, and we're not taking it out of context. He doesn't work for ESPN anymore, so it doesn't matter. Hooray! So it's fine. It's fine. So what we're going to be doing for this segment, because later on in the episode, we have an interview with our NBA legend, Budum. We are going to pay homage to the double three-peat era Bulls, but not necessarily talk about the documentary just yet. So what Eric and I have prepared are two mini that actually happens. Whoa, that actually happened. That actually happened. Do you want to go first or second? Can I go second? I feel like I never get to go second. So what I have prepared is something that I was always hoping to cover on the podcast, but it's hard to do in a three-on-three -three because there are more than six instances of this thing that I'm covering. And it's hard to do and if that actually happened because it wouldn't be very long. So this mini that actually happened is perfect. I've had this peg for a very long time. Hey, Eric, you know Dennis Rodman had super wild hair for his entire NBA career? 
and that actually happened. I did, but I'm excited that you're going to do a deep dive on it. <laughs> We're doing the deepest of dive. I did a lot of research trying to find any article written specifically about Dennis Rodman's hair. Most commonly, what I got was articles written in the 90s when people, of course, writers at the time, wrote things like, oh my goodness, Dennis Rodman's kind of weird. I should just shit on him in an article, right, guys? Mm, yep. He's clearly going through some sort of mental issues. Let's just dunk on the dude for an entire article in a newspaper. Honestly, between The Last Dance, because I know that episode three is going to be about Dennis Rodman, and the Bad Boys 30 for 30 documentary, like, you really <laughs> understand that Dennis Rodman was someone who had a really, really tough life and then became an amazing NBA player and like just needed some fucking structure. <laughs> yes. Dennis Rodman also has his own documentary that you can watch. It's a 30 for 30. I forget what it's called, but it's just about him. So there's a lot of interesting Dennis Rodman content out there. Highly recommend for anyone out there. The basic summary of Dennis Rodman is that he was working as a janitor in an airport and he was tall and someone saw him and asked, hey, do you play basketball? And he said, no. And then that person convinced him to start playing basketball. And then he became the best rebounder of all time. Amazing. That's the Dennis Rodman story. So before we get into hair, I have a great quote from Dennis Rodman that I wanted to just finally set the tone with. He says, quote, I have this fantasy that I can live my life like a tiger in the jungle, eating whatever I want, having sex whenever I want, <laughs> and roaming around butt naked, wild and free. It sounds difficult and complicated, but it doesn't have to be. Everything you need to set yourself free is right there inside you. That's from his autobiography. I have no idea what the context is. Where do you get my yearbook? And how did you find my yearbook <laughs> quote? <laughs> my senior quote. <laughs> so here's just a recap of the hairstyles that he did throughout his career. And then to bring it into the last dance, I specifically documented the hairstyles he had during the playoffs and finals run for that second three-peat. Nice. How Dennis Rodman got some of these funky designs is that he would bleach his hair and then it would be buzzed pretty short, but just long enough where it's a very, very short Afro kind of vibe going on. So you can see all of the stuff. Obviously, we'll have tons of pictures on the website for this episode. So he did an AIDS ribbon in his hair. He did a cheetah print design where his hair was yellow and then it had black little cheetah squiggly things going on. That's too great. One of his more common ones that he wore throughout his tenure on the Spurs and also with the Bulls, he had neon pink, just all covered neon pink. Same thing with neon green. For opening night on one of his seasons with the Bulls, he had it all bright red and then a black Bulls logo on the back of his head. That's very cool. In 1991, when he was still on the Pistons, one of his earliest unique hairstyles was that he buzzed into the back of his head trilogy and then the Roman numeral three because the Pistons were in the Eastern Conference Finals and they were trying to make the NBA Finals for the third consecutive year and they lost. <laughs> so not great. I don't know, man. Like, these don't seem that weird. Like, if this is your thing, I don't know. It's like, oh, yeah, Dennis is going to do something with his hair. Like, like I guess. It's almost like I have backloaded the wild ones oh, no. to the end. <laughs> <laughs> shit, shit. In 1995, while he was on the Spurs, he had all orange and then a design in the back of his head that I could only describe as looking like crop circles. <laughs> uh, it's like a circle and then a line at the top and then another smaller circle inside of it. So it either looks like crop circles or he's wearing just one Beats headphone on the back of his head. <laughs> 
and it's buzzed in and then <laughs> spray painted a little darker so it really stands out. <laughs> I need there to be an interview with Dr. Dre where he was like, yeah, man, the beats, uh, just an innovation. <laughs> I was really inspired by the back of Dennis Rodman's head in, uh, in this one particular game. <sighs> in 1996, he had this very cool design that was gold, teal, and purple. In 1997, he was in the movie Double Team with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh, that's a whole other story. He, he had it dyed completely white, so not the standard blonde, and then there were these brown slash black polygons, and this one's impressive because it's incredibly sharp, which makes me think that he had a stencil. The other ones kind of look like someone had a spray paint thing and just kind of drew it. This one looks like he had a legitimate stencil on his head, which I'm very intrigued about. I like the idea that you think that Dennis Rodman did this to himself. And then finally in 1997, there was a game where it was just all yellow, and then he had a black happy face like the stickers that were popular in the 90s on the back of his head. Dennis Rodman just super loves Watchmen, and he wanted to, <laughs> he really wanted to shout out Alan Moore. <laughs> so those are all of the highlights of things that he wore during the rest of his career. Now we specifically get into what he had on his head during the playoffs of this three-peat run with the Bulls. Mm -hmm. So in the 1996 playoffs, he just had it blonde, which I appreciate because I've been watching a lot of 96 Bulls recaps because that was the team that won 72 games. And when you're watching these really blurry, poorly recorded games, it's very nice to have Dennis Rodman out there because then you go, oh, that's Dennis Rodman. <laughs> that's the Dennis <laughs> Rodman one. Bald one, Michael Jordan. Blonde one, Dennis Rodman. Flat top, Scottie Pippen. Cool. Tony Kukoc, the one that nobody passes to. So in the 1996 NBA Finals, though, he had his blonde hair, but then just a bunch of random designs on it. It very much looked like he was rocking what a skateboarder would spray paint onto a wall. Let me send you, I have the uh, I have the article link, hold on, so you can you can look at all these. So you, what you're saying, it's like a Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3 sort of deal. It would truly be Tony Hawk's American Wasteland because that was the first one where you could customize and make your own graffiti tags. Thank you. You've already answered the <laughs> question that I had. Ooh, what I like about this, it looks like a arcade carpet in the 90s. <laughs> It's very, very good. So that was 96. 1997, in the finals, he goes rainbow. Yeah. He goes rainbow where it's got bluish purple in the front and then a big blotch of red in the middle. And then there's still some blonde peeking through and a little bit of green. It's super fresh. I like this one a whole lot. That one is very pretty. I just like that it's colorful. Like, it's one right. thing if you just do designs, but, like, having colorful hair is just, like, you're like a poison dart frog. It's like, hey, don't box me out. So then in the final run, in the 1998 playoffs, he had a design where it was red in the middle and then yellow on the sides with black wavy lines. Yeah, last dance, baby. <laughs> I appreciate that in 1998, The Last Dance, he has decided, I'm pulling out all the stops. I'm not just rocking the regular blonde for the first three rounds. I'm getting funky with it. And I really like this zigzag design. I think this is the best of all of the designs. It's cool. It's got multiple colors. It's got his trademark blonde, but it still has red for the team he's playing for. Zigzags are in there. They're black, so it's on the Bulls color scheme of red, black, and white. I love this hairstyle a lot. 
I really like the photo in this particular article. Uh, Dennis Rodman <laughs> is helping Michael Jordan up, and it looks like two players from two totally different things are got photoshopped together. <laughs> yeah, a basketball player and a WWE wrestler are on the court together. <laughs> exactly. Like, who put Triple H? <laughs> who photoshopped Triple <laughs> H to be picking up Steph Curry? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And then the final design that he rocked for the finals in 1998 was a black and green combo where the green is the most neon green that I can imagine. And there's no real rhyme or reason to this one. Maybe it is cow print-esque, but it doesn't really seem to have a strict format to it. This one, not my favorite, but it is very bold. So I applaud it. This makes me wonder, do NBA players just get better stuff than everyone else? Yes. Where did Dennis Rodman get this really good hair dye? It's really good stuff because it stays in and it has to hold up to him sweating for an hour and change of Mm -hmm. playing, you know? So there are some NBA players who like spray their hair, like, you know, the old school sort of like filling in bald spot thing. And like that shit just sweats away. Yeah. Even LeBron with his hair stuff doesn't really hold up too well. So that is the... Dennis Rodman hair recap for you. He made some funky hairstyles. That actually happened. Wow, that actually happened. Well, Mike, I'll come right back. I couldn't not talk about Michael Jordan. I've already talked about Michael Mm -hmm. Jordan on this podcast. But with The Last Dance, he is just a truly strange man. Yep, 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 yep. And uh, there was an article on The Athletic called Untold Stories of Meeting Michael Jordan. But of course, it was Mm. behind a paywall. And I said that was bullshit. (laughs) So I focus on one particular story that I unearthed from our NBA. Hey, Mike, did you know that Michael Jordan tried to go to Dwayne Wade's draft party, but Michael Jordan refused to pay, so he didn't go in? I saw this headline on Reddit, and I did not read the post, so I'm excited to hear the details. (laughs) Okay, I'm just going to read it. I think that, uh, as I've learned from Players' Tribune, sometimes you just need to capture it in the NBA players' mouths and the way that they say it, so I'm excited to, to share this with you. For those of you who don't know, Dwayne Wade, obviously amazing player, played for the Miami Heat for a very long time, but he is from Chicago. So Dwayne Wade got drafted, and he had this big party in Chicago. I just got drafted to the Heat, and I'm going back to Chicago after that, and they have this big draft party, Wade said. And I'm inside the draft party, and it was popping. <laughs> really important for Dwayne Wade to set the scene that, like, this was a dope party for me. I really appreciate the word popping. <laughs> I very much like saying, let's get it popping. And uh, I'm glad Dwayne Wade shares this sentiment with me. It really sets, like, a time frame, too. It's like, oh, this is an early 2000s party. <laughs> I remember my cousin came and got me and he was like, yo, Jordan's here. They won't let him in. (laughs) And I'm like, what, man? Stop playing with me. Because obviously this is a wild thing to say to a person. What's so strange about this is is it's in Chicago. It's Michael Jordan. He's Jesus Christ. (laughs) We're going to come back to that. We're going to circle back. But then he was like, bro, I'm serious. Michael Jordan is outside with like 50 people. They won't let him in. What I like about this is that this is framing it like Michael Jordan has like a 50-person posse with him and none of them are allowed into this party. Look, sometimes you just got to roll 50 deep to the club. I got to have a half a Benjamin of crew with me or I don't go anywhere. He's got a Chrysler that's as big as a whale, so he (laughs) might as well bring all 50 people down to the Dwayne Wade draft party. Oh, my God. (laughs) Draft party, yeah, yeah. That was fucking, that might be the dumbest joke on a horse we've ever done. Congratulations. (laughs) That's great. 
I just want Fred Schneider to show up to the party. Hey, Dwayne, congrats on the drafting. <laughs> the Miami Heat gonna win the finals. Everyone had matching hats. So we run out the door, run up the front where they won't let him in. Hey, why won't y'all let Jordan in? Somebody was like, he wouldn't pay. <laughs> and I'm like, what? So I run outside and Michael Jordan is out there on a motorcycle surrounded by 30 dudes. So 20 of them left? <laughs> 20 of them just didn't want to deal with this. I run up to him. I'm in awe, of course, a young kid. And he said, I just wanted to come by and show you some love. <laughs> I know what happened to the 20 people. Fred Schneider showed up because his car seats about 20. So those 20 got in with Fred Schneider and made their way down to the love shack. <laughs> These 30 remained. I didn't know that the love shack was a club in Chicago, but that totally makes sense. There probably is an institution in Chicago called the love shack. Oh, 100%. I, not, I bet there has to be one. Okay, so Dwayne Wade is, is falling over Michael Jordan, and he said something about them tripping at the front or something like that. But he's like, I just want to come by and show you some love. Congratulations on getting drafted. And I was like, man, thank you for coming. I just couldn't believe it. Thank you for coming. Hey, you want to come in? And he's like, nah, nah, we good. I just came by to show you some love. And he rode off on his motorcycle. <laughs> Bananas. Bananas. What I like about it is that Michael Jordan obviously like refused to pay for the cover, but then when Dwayne Wade came over and said, no, I can get you in for free. I'm Dwayne Wade. This is my party. It's popping. He's like, nah, I'm going to drive away. And he, he was also like astride a motorcycle the whole time. I think what Jordan is doing is what in pre-quarantine times people used to love doing, which is getting ready to do something and then having plans canceled. Because now Jordan has made all the effort of, ah, I don't really want to go to the club, but I want to show love for Dwayne Wade. Ah, I can now have a way out. I'm going to act like I was offended by the bouncers. And now I'm doing the ultimate I can't stay very long in that I'm not even going to go. I saw Dwayne Wade. This is all I had to do. Now I get to leave. What I like about this is that you're doing the thing that no one can do, which is make Michael Jordan relatable. <laughs> so, but he, it's like you're and I appreciate the Herculean effort you're doing. But I really think Michael Jordan is just really cheap and then doesn't want to be shown up like he wasn't going to pay. Like he just wanted to get out of the situation. That definitely could be it. But on the flip side. I'm sure Michael Jordan going to any basketball-themed event is a horrible experience for Michael Jordan. Sure. Because everyone wants to talk to him and take pictures and stuff. It is probably exhausting for him to go to anything basketball-themed at all. So this was probably a huge relief for him. Michael Jordan loves canceling plans. Everyone he does. does him and John Mulaney. The big two. <laughs> The thing you mentioned before is why didn't the bouncer just let Michael Jordan in? This is literally Chicago. People should know what Michael Jordan looks like, especially if he's on a bike and people are losing their shit about it. Like, what was wrong with this bouncer that they didn't know it was Michael Jordan? There's only so many people in the year 2003 rocking a Hitler mustache and a single hoop earring. There's only so many. And a Haynes t-shirt. This tagless. So I started looking into how popular Michael Jordan was because there was a thing in the first episode of The Last Dance where they go to France and they call him like God and the Pope and they'll just lose their entire shit about it and like everyone knew who Michael Jordan was during this time. So I was looking at an article from the Chicago Tribune called How They Stake Their Claim to the Title of Most Famous by Tom Hundley. So he was a foreign correspondent for the Chicago Tribune and he's been everywhere. And he was talking about how freaking famous Michael Jordan was compared to Pope John Paul II and Muhammad Ali. Okay. 
So here are some three really quick stories about how popular Michael Jordan was. On one occasion, I discussed the great Chicago Bull with a dagger-wielding tribesman in North Yemen. They talked about Michael Jordan's stats, apparently. Okay. On another, a bleary-eyed Kosovar warlord apologized for yawning through our interview. His excuse, he'd been up late watching the satellite feed of Jordan leading the Bulls to their second three-peat in 1998. Okay. So just a bat in a warlord, just like, oh, yeah, like, Michael Jordan, he's definitely going to take it. Jeez, all right. Gotta watch the game. You gotta. I mean, like, he's a foreign correspondent, so these people are, like, kind of bleak. But it's wild about who cares about Michael Jordan on the far stretches of the globe. But this is the most ridiculous story. There was a Serb man who was living in a Croat village in Bosnia. So this is the dark stuff. Ethnic cleansing was happening in Bosnia. So his wife hid him in his attic. And no one knew he was up there, not even his children. He was up there for a year. And once there was an agreement keeping everything safe was signed, he ventured into the street for the first time in more than a year. The reporter happened to be in the village that day and ran over to his house because he heard the story. When I told him I was with the Chicago Tribune, his face lit up and he asked me what kind of season Michael Jordan was having. My goodness. He is truly on all faces of the earth in when humanity is at its worst, still following Michael Jordan is a hobby. (laughs) Yeah, he was really larger than life. So Michael Jordan is a crazy cat, but also, how did this bouncer not know who Michael Jordan was? Yeah, maybe it was dark. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> the lighting was him. bad. He would have hold up his shoe. It's like that's me. Like, what are you supposed to do? I want an interview with the bouncer. I want to hear his side of the tale. Well, luckily, we can just ask Dwayne Wade and his cousin. So now we have a very special interview, a I'm sure to be very silly one, and I'm happy because it'll be Nick's themed for a good chunk of it. We have the illustrious Budum from Reddit and NBA Twitter fame, as well as the hosts of the Per 36 pod. Budum, how's it going? It's going pretty well. I mean, going as well as uh, quarantine can go, I guess. Uh, Yeah, thanks for having me on. No, we're excited to have you for sure. Absolutely. A real star from the internet. Who could have thought? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, like the biggest star out there is like, because some people on the NBA subreddit know me and I have like 3,000 followers, like like a Z-list internet celebrity. <laughs> you know what? As Q-list internet celebrities, we feel you. <laughs> so what brought you from nothing to this illustrious Z-list that you find yourself on now is mostly your low light videos. And I was trying to find the very first one, but searching on Reddit is very bad and it doesn't work properly. But on your YouTube channel, at least the first one you have is Had a Bad Clay, where you posted a very bad shooting night of Clay Thompson, one of our best beloved boys on the pod, and put it to Had a Bad Day. Was that the first one you made or were there others? That was the first published one. It's actually something I always wanted to do. I just like wasn't savvy enough with the computer to do it. The very unfinished low light video was of CJ Miles when he was like just oh. some random game he was one for nine. I had like the silly set of NBA. I probably do what like down to Buck does, which is he makes like scrub highlight videos, but he already mm-hmm. took that niche. So I always wanted to do low light videos, you know, make fun of players, you know, make them uh, make me feel a little better for myself to see them be uh, <laughs> human. But that Clay Thompson one was the very first loss of that. Like, it was that Warriors season where they, you know, won every game. 
and the right. box broke that streak and he sucked. So I uploaded it. It got a lot of hits, probably more than uh, CJ Miles one would have gotten. So I just kind of, <laughs> kind of stuck with it. And uh, yeah. You know, it's funny that you bring up the Clay Thompson one because I have a Reddit post pulled up here from our Warriors. Budum's low life videos are everything wrong with NBA fandom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that. I don't know. That's funny. I wish there was like more like funny like posts like that. I mean, they're so lighthearted. And I, honestly, that you were rooting for the Warriors because they were so fun. But people who like act like it's the worst thing ever. I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's just funny. You know? uh, what I like about this the most is that in the third paragraph, this guy, because it's probably a dude. Um, no yeah. one's going to go on Reddit and be salty about low light videos other than a guy. I'm salty and wouldn't have written this if we'd won because then he'd just be another hater. He's given ammunition to the narrative that everything the Warriors accomplished deserves an asterisk next to it. <laughs> You're ruining the Warriors dynasty. I, I ended Warriors dynasty single-handedly. I, I ended it all. Like, people talk about LeBron's like blocking stuff. No, it was Budum's low-light videos. <laughs> <laughs> Clay saw it. He was crushed. He was crestfallen. Never recovered. He then drank too much chocolate milk and he got a cramp and then he was just out for the rest of the playoffs. Well, that's why he tore his ACL. He wasn't in the gym enough because he was watching the video on repeat and just <laughs> stewing in anger that someone would have the audacity to make this film. <laughs> the best question that I have for you is how do you think you contribute to NBA fandom? I, I really think that in, on the internet, there's like a overarching idea to be positive. And like when you're not positive, you really get dumped on, especially on Reddit in so many places. How do you think you've carved out this niche here in the fandom and how, how does it fit kind of in the larger ecosystem? I mean, probably in general, I, 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 kind of, I guess I feed off the hate a little bit, though that's not really the intention. Like, you know, people will use one of the videos to be like, all right, like Harden sucks. But like, it's just the only real point I'm making with that one game is that he was bad that game. Like, it doesn't mean he's always bad because you look at my channel, like, pretty much every single good player has a video. Not many videos of the Knicks because uh, I, I got away from the CJ Miles of the world to do, you know, the players actually, people actually care about. But I, I think in general, my actual goal is just to, like, point out, like, the silliness of the NBA that it's, it's not that deep and that these guys, you know, they're not not perfect and it's just uh fun to make fun of them every now and then and you know it's it's funny to watch clay thompson miss when you don't normally doesn't i don't know it's just like a, it's not the deep i think it's good i think it's great to remember that these people are human because so often you look at someone like Giannis and he just does not look human and does things that are completely inhuman so it's nice as you're saying just to have a reminder of like oh yeah sometimes people mess things up you know you know, sometimes we record podcasts and we forget to hit the record button. It's life. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a slogan of the, the channel that plays like after every intro, I think. Everyone has bad games. So you've made some and maybe Clay didn't necessarily reach out unless I wasn't aware. I feel like you would have been flexing on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you have received some ire from players in the past. Cole Aldridge clapped at you on Twitter, right? After you made his airballing compilation. Yeah. Uh, so I was here in quarantine and uh, pretty bored and I was like, Oh, I remember seeing an article by Chris Herring that uh, Cole Aldrich would have, like airball all his hooks. I honestly didn't watch much of that season because it was just miserable. So I was like, let me uh, go to like the stats NBA footage and uh, look up some of those hooks. And I just made a video. I thought I'd get like five likes, but I guess everyone was so starved for sports content. I got like 2,000 and like tw an hour into posting it, Cole Aldrich himself responded. <laughs> Saying, you know, I, yeah, I airballed a bunch of folks, but I got paid like $30 million to do it, which, you know, can't really, can't really make a comeback to that. 
But it was also funny because normally, like, everyone after that had, like, a story that, like, Cole Aldrich, you know, had blocked them in the past, but not me, you know? I think he appreciated the silliness of it, you know? Like, obviously, I'm making fun of these players, but I'm not, I'm not too mean-hearted. I don't, I don't have anything against Cole Aldrich. Maybe against Julius Randle, but... Yes, <laughs> perfect segue. I think we all have something against Julius Randle. <laughs> I was very early on the being terrified about us signing Julius Randle this offseason bandwagon. What I appreciate is that I think it was even some of the threads, because some of the R Knicks threads on Reddit are really bad. Some people saying like, oh yeah, look at Julius Randle's stats. He's better than Chris Stapps Porzingis. We're going to be totally fine. And then he got on the team and all he does is do spin moves and turn the ball over pretty consistently. And then you made a low light video of it. And he made fun of you saying that you probably live in your basement, I believe, on Instagram. Was that what he said? Well, to be fair, that wasn't in response to me, but it was in response to someone who like reposted the video. So I'll take credit for that, that <laughs> epic diss. He said like 30 years old and never made varsity. But in fact, I am 19 years old and made varsity not once, but twice. So, uh, nice. Suck, uh-huh. on, that. suck on that, Julius Randall. Uh, <laughs> This might be just because I've been watching The Last Dance, but like entirely possible that you're going to go through a Scottie Pippen growth spurt and become 6'7 like any minute now. We'll see. And then, you know, I may not be able to like bulldoze through people as well as Julius Randle. I won't spin (laughs) every single time and give it to the other team. I do like the idea that you're 6'7 and you still have like decent iMovie skills. (laughs) <laughs> like that feels like a thing that only if you're yeah. like mm, I guess I gotta teach myself iMovie it's like one you learn how to rebound and the other you teach yourself <laughs> iMovie I don't know if I was an NBA player I would definitely all I would do is make like <laughs> videos of myself and cherry pick stats <laughs> sure I, I'm like shooting 10% but like if you go to like the second quarter of every game I'm averaging like 30 points for 36, you know, so. Do you remember when Chris Stapps was doing that when he was still on the Knicks? There was a span where he had a YouTube channel and someone, I guess it was his brother or his team of media hype. I don't know. They were making videos of just showing Chris Stapps highlights only every single game, like when our team was particularly bad. You know, I don't like Chris Stapps. I've been roasting him a lot this year, but like he objectively <laughs> is better than Randall. But uh yes. But he, yeah, those videos annoyed the hell out of me because, you know, at, at first they were fun when he averaged like 40 a game for the first 10 games. But then he'd shoot like four for 14 and we lose by like 10. And then like a video would be posted immediately after. It's like, how dare you? Like, <laughs> Chris Stapp scored eight points, baby. <laughs> I was just going to ask you, like, wow, what do you think is going to happen when NBA players have like their own PR to like put that stuff out on YouTube? And like, oh, this is what happens. It was Christoph Porzingis did it. I mean, we're seeing more of that with like the workouts and stuff. Very few of like buy the game stuff, especially in bad games. My like worst received video, I think, was his rookie year or second year. And I made a low light video of him and like it was like a one to one like dislike ratio. And I sorted by like country and in Latvia it was particularly not well received. (laughs) It was like three to like 50 likes and dislikes. Let's make things a little more uplifting. One of your most beloved players that you are a fan of is Chris Copeland, who has wonderful hair and (laughs) wasn't necessarily a great player, but he was fun. What about Chris Copeland, beloved Knicks bit player legend, made you love him? Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. And also, you know, part of me just be, I was uh, younger then. Who knows if like he came along today, I'd be hating on him being like, ah, you know, (laughs) I know he's a defensive liability. Probably not though. But I mean, he's just like, this is a crazy story where he was a four-year, like, college player, and, like, he's not athletic at all. He, like, sucked, and he just, like, sucked. He's just, like, he literally got, he just made himself get better 
And then when he got to the NBA for one year, he was a human bucket. And he was just like, he was all smiley and humble. <laughs> it was just, uh, it was just hard to root against him. Except if you were Mike Woodson or Frank Vogel. <laughs> I guess what really made me fall in love with him was uh, in preseason, the Pablo Prisioni, Chris Copeland pick and roll was just dy oh. dynamic. Oh, speaking my language, true to my heart. This is disgusting. <laughs> I hate this. You also had a lot of love for someone that I miss so dearly, who is one of my favorite named players of all time, Mindaugas Kuzminskis, a true icon. Was there anything about him? Was it the fact that he kind of looks like you without curly hair? Like, what was the connection to Kuz? <laughs> I mean, it's essentially a similar thing where, I mean, it's a guy that he just came to the league as like a 27-year-old rookie, all smiley. They called him Cheese because he smiles so much. And also, you know, he just seemed to be a bucket and... Good things always seem to happen when he came in. It's hard to root against him. I think definitely me looking exactly like him <laughs> definitely played into that a little <laughs> bit. Like, literally, I had, like, it wasn't like, you know, just Knicks people being like, oh, like, Kuz kind of looks like you. It was like people who didn't know basketball would see a picture of him and, like, text me being like, this guy in the Knicks looks like you. I forgot about that section in the New York Post where they just put a random photo of a Nick, just be like, yeah, we have extra space. Let's just put a photo of a random Nick in here this time. Eric, I thought you were going to say that that's why your favorite player is Giannis, because he resembles <laughs> you. You're both seven feet tall <laughs> and Greek. <laughs> so I'm just doing the mental math. So I knew you were young. I didn't realize you were only 19 because I wanted to ask, like, why do you like the Knicks? Because the last good Knicks thing we had going on was the Linsanity and then the year where we decided to shoot a bunch of threes and then the year after we were like, why would we do that? That was way too smart. We have to be bad again. At least for me growing up, I'm 28, so at least I had the late 90s run as like the beginning of my childhood, so it made sense. You've truly had some dark days. What has made you been so dedicated and devoted to sticking with our garbage fire of a franchise? Yeah, I'm starting to realize uh, as it's been like a decade since our last I'm starting to realize I'm just uh, an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I mean, essentially, it's like like what you said. I used to hate like basketball. Like I do little league and stuff and couldn't wait to go home and like play on the Wii, you know? got into it with Lynn, just like, you know, he's just like an amazing story. My introduction to my, my first like Knicks game I cared about was of course the first loss of Lynn's sanity in which they like- oh, It's your fault, it's your fault. <laughs> yeah, it's all, also my fault. I ended the Warriors, I, I ruined <laughs> Lynn's sanity. I literally marked the end of Lynn's sanity. And like, oh. I, I don't know, maybe I'm just like a depraved person. I was like seeing them like, come back from like down 18 just to lose anyway. So that was fun. I want to do that, you know? Uh, but mm -hmm. yeah, I, I don't know. It was really just like, Lynn got me into it. And I guess I've just been like chasing that like childhood nostalgia high mm -hmm. when they're actually good too since. And now I'm realizing, oh, you know, that was 10 years ago. You know, maybe, maybe it's time to go to the Nuggets, you know? But uh, <laughs> might as well stick around. If they're good, you know, then it's be like, yay. <laughs> It's the ultimate bylaw situation, whereas if they are ever good, people will come to dedicated fans like you and I and be like, you were there when Kevin Seraphim was on the team. <laughs> you were there. And also, you like, you know, I like, you know, making jokes about basketball and stuff. So, it's, you know, it's good to like low hanging fruit. And, you know, I like I mm -hmm. love my scrubs and the Knicks, Knicks definitely got a whole lot of them. So yep. you get to go along for the ride of insanity. <laughs> I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I like like we were talking about with me, like. Messing with players, I had, I mean, you know, I had my whole stint, like, when Chris Smith was on the team, I'd always get into it with him on Instagram, you know, just, just good fun. 
<laughs> yeah, that time J.R. Smith made his brother come onto the team. He made the Knicks sign him. Eric and I will have to do a deep dive into that on an episode because that was a bonkers banana situation. I will situation. always talk about J.R. I mean, the real deep dive on that is I think J.R. is represented by the Creative Arts Agency. CAA, baby. If you look back at the Knicks, like their stink is all over everything. Like it was like Ronaldo Bachman getting drafted in the first round. It was trading for Bargnani. He was running Lynn out of town. And now how did we reward them for like ruining the Knicks? We hire Leon Rose to run the Knicks. Mm -hmm. So I mean, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. For anyone unaware, Leon Rose is, I don't know what his title is at CAA, but basically the only reason we hired him as our new president of basketball operations is because he has all these CAA connections. And I guess it's worked for some other teams that you get someone who is in the agent world and things go well, but you're right, Bootham. Like, CAA has not done anything good for the Knicks ever. So I don't know why we would do it. It'd be like if you cooked a bunch of stuff with garlic, but rotten garlic, and then you had Jim Garlic, the inventor of garlic, in charge of your kitchen. Like, it's just not... <laughs> if, there's, wait, if something has ruined everything... Look, this is a perfect analogy. You, wait, you, you could have just, just said you kept cooking with the garlic, but you're like, no, I'm going to have an inventor of a vegetable. Yeah, Jim Garlic invented it. That's why it's called garlic. But it'd be like if he was your official chef and cooked all of your meals. It's not great. <laughs> Budum, we have a very important final question for you. We have a rule on horse that uh, if there are any NBA players in the league who are up to college age, we don't want to come down too hard on them because remember what we were like in college. Uh, and then we have to tell a dumb college story to repent for us being too harsh on people who are still like living their lives and uh, putting their experiences together. Uh, as someone who is in college now, is there any advice that you could give to the 18 to 22 year old NBA players from someone who has an actual college experience and from someone who is looking at them from the outside? Outside and we'll roast them on YouTube. Well, I'm not in college right now. Now I'm, now I'm in Zoom University. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> Zoom University also sounds like a Kanye West lyric from like 2012. Zoom University is my favorite. Their mascot is the 40-minute timers. <laughs> I know. I guess the most funny call story that happened to me this year. So I guess my advice would be lock your doors and also manage your alcohol because one <laughs> one one night one night this year in my dorm room with uh, my girlfriend at the time. And in the middle of the night, just like some other dude like climbs into our bed and <laughs> <laughs> in the middle of the night. And I wake up and I'm like, why, why is there another man in, in our bed? And she's like, eh. and so I was like, oh, all right, I must, I must be dreaming. And then I woke up again. I accidentally kicked him. I was like, oh, sorry, didn't, didn't, didn't mean to bother you there. <laughs> and, then I, and then I woke up again and he was gone. So I was like, oh, I must have made that up. But then a day later, I found his shoes. So that definitely happened. Amazing. <laughs> I think the real lesson here is trust your instincts. Because if yeah. you think there's a man in your bed, there's probably a man in your bed. It was like 3 a.m. I was very tired. But <laughs> it's like, ah, it's like, she didn't see it. Uh, forget it. He seems nice enough. He's, he's resting. <laughs> Amazing. Thank good. you so much. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, man, thanks for joining. Glad we could talk and learn a little bit about your process of roasting some players. But yeah, if anyone wants to check you out, you've got Per 36 Nick's podcast, as well as all of your videos going around our NBA and stuff like that. And if people want to find you on social media, what are your handles? So if they want to follow your silly Twitter game. So my, my silly Twitter game uh, can be found at Da Real Bootum, D-A Real Bootum, not to be confused with, with all the fake Bootums out there. 
Are there um, are there people trying to make fake ones? No, like the only okay. like the only other like Bootum accounts out there are accounts I made like when I was ten and <laughs> forgot the password to. And also, me and some other college age kids are starting up this website called Fanfare Media. So if you want to follow them on Twitter, I think at Fanfare Media should be cool. Uh, one of the producers of the site is Karen Mori, none other than the daughter of Daryl Mori. So you know, whoa, be, that's whoa. awesome. Trying to launch it in uh, I don't know next few weeks or so. Wonderful. Cool, cool. Best of luck with all that, man. And thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Horse. Horse is hosted by Eric Silver and Mike Schubert. It is edited and mixed by Eric Silver. Social media is run by Mike Schubert. The art is by Allison Wakeman. The music is by Bettina Campomanes. And the website is by Kelly Schubert. Special thanks to our producer-level patrons, Brianne Wingate, Adam Hartwick, Cody Powell, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Samantha Rose, Polly Burge, I work with Eric's dad, Shooby Dooby Doo, I am Adam Silver, Godzilla got busy, Watcher Vandermaiden, Madeline Heising, Selfs Lamb Chops, Seth Curry for three, Siobhan Ellsbury, Kendra Hadley, He Sells Seashells, Aileen Gazesh, and Catherine Lee. You can find us on the internet, Horse Hoops on Instagram and Facebook, and Horse underscore Hoops on Twitter, because as we say every episode, it's because Horse Hoops used permanent hair dye instead of temporary and they were too embarrassed about their green and black head only dennis rodman can pull it off like you gotta stick with the class mm-hmm. mm-hmm. our website is horsehoops.com which has all of our research and the visual stuff like photos of dennis rodman's hair because this is a podcast and you couldn't see it and if you want some sweet bonus content such as us turning three on threes into five on fives some bonus streams and bonus audio as well as the new jerseys which we're finally getting designs on and i'm going to tease the art for them on the patreon you can head on over to patreon.com slash horse hoops and listen to everything from multitude multitude is a podcast collective and studio where we make podcasts about the things we love for people who love them too and there is a new show for multitude that i wrote called next stop it is an audio sitcom and i think it's really funny and i think you should join the wave everyone has who has been listening has been so supportive if you like funny things and you like jokes that i make sometimes you would definitely love next stop so go listen wherever podcasts are sold. Mm-hmm. Go check it out. And as we round out every episode, we are going to put our hands in the middle and say something on the count of three. I think that it is only fitting if we pay homage to Dennis Rodman, who we love very much. And we say the one thing that is not explicit from this quote, which is everything you need to set yourself free is right there inside you. Every- I will <laughs> slack this to you so you can read it. So, one, two, two, three. three. Everything Everything you you need need to set set yourself free is right there there inside you. you. (laughs) See, that quote, incredible. The rest of the quote about having sex and being wild and free and being butt naked and eating stuff in the jungle, little different, Dennis. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.